Hello listeners. Welcome to Itihasa, an Indic history podcast. And you're listening to episode 46 of the season Vijayanagara. And the fifth part of the Vijayanagara Gajapati War mini series. We had entered the last episode at a crucial juncture for the Vijayanagara Empire. Its first dynasty, the Sangamas, were imploding due to a series of incompetent successors. after the death of the great devaraya the second the empire was literally teetering at the edge and shrinking from all sides while its enemies and opportunistic rebels reared their heads sensing the vulnerability of the imperial structure at the capital and then there was a dramatic civil war raging in the gajapati kingdom of orissa after the death of kapilendra deva the bahmanis too were a party to the civil war with the intention to make its rival turned ally into its vassal by trying to co-opt the stronger claimant to the gajapati throne bahmanis and gajapatis were then also pressing vijayanagara on its frontiers and critical forts in the midst of all of this chaos there was a figure in vijayanagara who was growing stronger by the day in both political and military power at the cost of the imperial glory of the weak emperor of vijayanagara this figure was none other than salavan narsimha who was not just a brilliant general but also an astute politician who knew how to work the ropes of power in hampi and this episode is going to be focused on this charismatic figure salavan narsimha and his journey to the lion's throne and what it meant to the waning fortunes of vijayanagara If you remember we had briefly touched upon him in the last episode let us first revisit a crucial event that happened in the Gajapati kingdom of Orissa which was the death of Kapilendra Deva or also known as Kapileshwar Gajapati in the year 1468 CE this event triggered a civil war of succession between Hamvira Deva and Purushottam Deva who were the sons of the dead Gajapati Surprisingly Kapilendra Deva passed the throne to his younger son Purushottam Deva instead of his brilliant military commander's son Hamvira Deva who had assisted him in building a large empire and proven his battle-hardened worth According to Odia folklore Kapilendra Deva was initially confused over choosing the next Gajapati as both the sons were worthy While climbing the 22 holy steps at Puri Jagannath temple he was consistently seeking the lord's divine guidance for the final decision while both the sons were accompanying him the divine sign came right away as a royal garment worn by Kapilendra Deva around his shoulders had slipped away the gajapati prayed that the one son out of the two will display no ego and will be submissive enough to pick up the cloth from the ground back to his father's shoulders will be righteous enough to be the next emperor surprisingly the learned younger son purushottam deva picks up the cloth as a battle hero and proud hambira deva hesitates to bend down for the same the choice was made with an exemplary instance on the very holy steps of the lord's abode While Purushottam Deva was crowned in 1468 CE, Hamvira Deva declared war on him to claim the throne in 1471 CE. 
Hammeradeva aligns with the old enemy the Bahmani Sultan and secures his assistance in reinstalling himself on the throne The Bahmani Sultan Mahmud Shah II sent Muhammad Gawan his principal advisor and most trusted officer in his service to assist Hambira who could occupy the coastal plains consisting of the forts of Kondapalli and Rajmandri in 1471 CE The advance of the Bahmani armies alarmed the Vijayanagara kingdom and its most powerful chieftain Salavanarsimha who was far away in south india at the time suppressing the revolts of chieftains of erstwhile pandyas these revolts as we had seen in the previous episodes is a recurring theme as one of the symptoms of declining power of empires or centralized power structures vassal powers in distant lands readily take advantage of the empire's troubles in the form of civil wars and foreign aggressions and hence the pandya chieftains in the distant south grew bold enough to assert their independence they had even launched offensive warfare successfully extending their power as far north as kanchipuram and occupied the city and virupaksha ii was utterly incapable to defend the provinces when it was threatened on two fronts salva narsimha had to assume the responsibility of defending it and thereby strengthened his power and influence to finally set aside the sangama dynasty for all practical purposes salva narsimha left his headquarters and marched on the fort of udaygiri and captured it after which he proceeded on kanchipuram sacked jinji and some other important forts all being situated in tondai mandalam Tondai Mandalam covers the present day areas of Nellore, Chittor, Vellore, Ranipet, Tirupattur, Tiruvannamalai, Villuppuram, Kallakuruchi, Tiruvallur, Kanchipuram, Chengalpattu, Kadalur and Chennai districts of modern day Andhra Pradesh and Tamil Nadu. In his second attempt, Salva Narsimha had relieved the country that had come under the invasion of Gajapatis and then marched on the erstwhile Pandya and Chola chieftains in South India. He reached Kumbakonam and Srirangam marching along the north bank of the Kaveri river where the Chola chieftains of the region fled away on the news of his approach subjugating them without much effort he led his armies on pandyas to Rameshwaram via Madurai receiving submission of all chieftains on the way even the king of Ceylon now known as Sri Lanka sent Salva Narsimha a respectful embassy when he camped at Rameshwaram, thereby recognizing his military power and political prowess. On his return march across the modern states of Kerala and Tamil Nadu, in the vicinity of Mysore, he left a garrison in Nagamandala. He left a garrison there in order to consolidate his hold on the newly conquered territories and reach Penukonda. Penukonda at the time was under the control of Bahmani armies and Salva Narsimha was forced to engage in a battle with them in order to relieve the fort having conquered it he expelled the Bahmani army and entrusted the fort to Ishwara Nayaka his most trusted general and then continued his marches pursuing the Bahmani armies that fled away towards Vijayanagara and from there into Udaygiri 
he finally caught up to them and defeated the bahmani armies at kandukur while salva narsimha was beating back the bahmani armies quite naturally there were revolts of local chieftains in coastal andhra desha against the bahmani occupation dr m bosubabu in his book material background to the vijayanagara empire hints that these revolts were more political in nature and that there wasn't a religious angle to it unlike how many historians in the past have tried to infuse religious element into them and give them a color of popular revolts while bosubabu makes a strong point here in my opinion at times it's difficult to discern the political from the religious it might help to take it with a pinch of salt having said that one has to concede that while the bahmanis weren't exactly kind to the subjects under its rule they still weren't as much hated as their invading tuglaki predecessors who were outright butchers of the highest order dr m bosubabu notes that the voice of the people in medieval political order was next to nothing as it was theoretically autocratic and managed by feudal elements in which all the political and administrative developments were engineered and executed only by local chieftains during these revolts some of the andhra desha chieftains had appealed to the gajapati king purushottama deva for help against bahmani invasions while some others sought military support of salva narsimha but both of them were in reality interested to invade the country in order to extend their own hegemony hence they both responded to the calls for help as if they were coming in rescue of the people of the country instead it probably was more for their own personal ambitions the gajapati king purushottama aimed at reconquering the country lost to salva during the war of succession with his brother while salva narsimha had to safeguard his own territorial interests in the country against expansionism of the gajapatis as well as the bahmanis with this in mind salva narsimha marched with his armies into coastal andhra desa following up his victories and took kondavedu and kondapalli successfully then continued his marches up to rajamandri where his victorious onslaughts were checked by the bahmani armies in 1480 ce though salva's luck ran out and the bahmani armies defeated him near the fort of rajamandri and forced him to take flight losing kondapalli and kondavedu in quick turn they overran his rams took the fort of the udayagiri too even one of the main strongholds of the salva family chandragiri had fallen before the bahmani sultan mohammad shah the sultan continued his marches as far as the fortress of mallur about 30 kilometers east of the modern city of bangalore the strongest fortress in the dominions of salva narsimha it was at this point that salva sought to make peace instead of offering a fight probably after having been exhausted in wars for more than a decade he might have felt it might be wise to not stretch his luck and end up losing more it would have made sense to stay alive and fight another day so salva as a sign of peace and ceasefire offered a generous tribute to the sultan but the sultan was not satisfied with the tribute he got from salva 
an instant he marched over to Kanchipuram and plundered the temples there after he had heard of the immense wealth in them plundering the wealth of the temple was not just the standard operating procedure of the islamic invaders or the british raj it is even till this day the standard operating procedure of the government in india whether it is state or central they rob the riches of hindu temples to fund their greed and harebrained schemes clearly not much has changed when it comes to the fortunes of hindu temples in the last 500 years having said that in this one aspect one has to acknowledge the fact that the gajapati ruler in the previous episode himself had plundered the kanchipuram temples in his blind quest to insult his vijayanagara rival even though he was a hindu and like this the victories of salavanar simha in the coastal andhra desa against bahmanis and gajapatis were only short lived around the same time as salavan narasimha was fighting wars with bahmani sultan birpaksha the second the emperor of vijayanagara made a futile attempt to recover goa from the bahmani occupation in 1481 ce in spite of the confusion prevailing at the bahmani capital after the execution of mohammad gawan who was the sultan's prime minister the sultan was able to successfully carry on the military expeditions in the southeast against salwa in southern andhra desa as we saw earlier and he was also able to foil the attempt of virupaksha to recover goa in the west added to his failure at goa as some traditional accounts report virupaksha the second also sustained an humiliating defeat at the hands of gajapati king purushottama about the same time right before the gates of his capital vijayanagara the critical situation in which the power and prestige of vijayanagara empire was very low under the rule of virupaksha the second and salavan narasimha having been sustained defeats in the hands of bahmanis it might have encouraged the gajapati ruler to overrun coastal andhra desa and to sack the city of vijayanagara even though the devastating defeats in wars with bahmanis and gajapatis reduced power and prestige of the imperial structure of the sangama dynasty beyond recovery the rising power of salavanar simha was not affected and on the other hand it increased to the disadvantage of the sangama kings it was quite natural in the medieval political order that failures would invariably go in the account of the emperor affecting the central power structure as vassals being only subordinates to it could not be found fault with they would on the other hand turn the situation to their own advantage to strengthen their own power and influence these political and military blunders of the last few rulers of the sangama line were especially compounded by not just their incompetence but also by their immoral and depraved conduct that was unbecoming of any ruler Virupaksha the 2nd continued to rule till the middle of 1485 CE when he was murdered by his eldest son His eldest son though having stained his hands with the blood of his own father and the sitting emperor out of shame remorse and being acutely aware of the fact that he would be hated by his nobles and subjects alike for such an heinous offense he declined to ascend the lion's throne and completely abdicated it in favor of his younger brother 
പ്രൗദ്ധദേവരായ പ്രൗദ്ധദേവരായ ദോർത്ത് ഇൻട്രസ്റ്റിംഗ്ലി പ്രൗദ്ധദേവരായ സോ ഇൻസെക്യൂർ ഓഫ് ഇസ് എൽഡർ ബ്രദേഴ്സ് ആപ്ലിക്കേഷൻ ദറ്റ് ഹി സ്റ്റാർട്ടഡ് സീങ് ഹിം ആസ് എ ത്രെഡ് എ ത്രെഡ് ദറ്റ് മൈ ടൺ സീറ്റ് ഹിം അറ്റ് എൻ ഓപ്പർച്യൂൺ മൂമെൻറ്റ് Ironically, the first act of the new emperor was to order the assassination of the very brother to whom he owed the throne. So what started as a patricide ended up with a fratricide. And Pravdadevaraya too was as incompetent as his last few successors. And he plunged into wine, women and debauchery of the highest order at the cost of the empire's welfare. Salvanarsimha's patience had finally run out. After witnessing the incompetence and neglect of the empire by its weak Sangama emperors for the last few decades. The nobles saw that Salvanarsimha was the only way to save the kingdom from any further ruin after putting an end to the Sangama dynasty. Salvanarsimha commanded his general Narsanayaka to proceed against Vijayanagara and capture the city. The 16th century Portuguese traveler Fernão Nunes gives us a graphic account of the last scenes. He gives an account of how Salvanarsimha's general arrived at the city gates and found them undefended. How he penetrated the palace and found no one to oppose him. How he even went as far as the royal harem and slaying some concubines in the process. And finally Nunez also describes how at last the incompetent Pravdadevaraya fled the palace like a coward without offering even a hint of a fight. With the flight of the last token emperor, the rotten and hollowed out edifice of the Sangama dynasty came crashing down. And with that, it was the dawn of a new era in the Vijayanagara empire. and birth of the Salwa dynasty that prevented the empire from rolling off the cliff edge. In 1486 CE, Salwa Narsimha was raised to the throne and by the supposed act of usurpation, Salwa Narsimha and his supporters saved the empire from a fatal disruption from both within and outside. In my opinion, it wasn't much of an usurpation. Instead, It was a sort of revolution against the degenerated Sangama dynasty. It was time for a change and Salvanar Simha was clearly the most able choice. Having said that, there was still opposition to Salva's elevation to the Lion Throne. Opposition from those who saw it as an usurpation. And they had obviously a lot to lose due to the regime change. Salwa had to spend time and energy in fighting and subduing some of these rebellious chieftains in Andhra Desa, Umattur near Mysore and others. While he overcame all of these internal troubles, they greatly weakened his capacity to resist his foreign enemies. For instance, when Purushottama Gajapati took advantage of the weakness of the Bahmani kingdom after the death of Muhammad III, and conquered all the eastern coastal countries south of Orissa up to the modern day Nellore district in 1489 CE and even advanced to Udaigiri laying siege to it Salwa's attempt to raise the siege proved disastrous defeated in the battle and taken prisoner he only secured his release by agreeing to the surrender of the fort 
in the surrounding country. The loss of the western ports in the reign of Virupaksha II had dislocated the lucrative horse trade of the Arabs, on which the Vijayanagari army depended for its cavalry. Salva, however, revived the trade by conquering the Tulu country and manning the ports of Honavar, Bhatkal, Bakanur and Mangalore. He had horses to be brought from the Straits of Hormuz, which is in modern-day Iran, and Gulf of Aden into Vijayanagara. And like this, he ensured that the horse traders received their legitimate share of profits, just as they had asked. He also took steps to strengthen the efficiency and martial spirit of his demoralized army. Salva was also fairly old by the time of his coming to the throne. And it was inevitable for him to take support from a few of the trusted officers and generals in handling the affairs of the state. He died about the year 1490 CE without enjoying the power and position for long leaving two minor sons behind him. Fernao Nunez reported that the Salwa king left a will at the time of his death, placing the kingdom under the charge of his trusted lieutenant, Tuluvanar Sanayaka, for proper maintenance till his sons attained proper age and to place the better suited among them on the throne. But Tuluvanar Sanayaka had a rival in political affairs. Another influential and powerful chieftain called Timmayadeva Maharasu or also known as Timmaraja. Timmaraja was jealous of Narsanayaka as Salava Narsimha had placed so much trust in him and gave him administrative power as well as the responsibility of placing his son on the throne. When Narsanayaka raised the eldest of the princes to the throne, the latter opposed him in favour of the younger prince and he began machinations to push him out from his position of power and influence. Their rivalry rooted in their personal ambitions caused dissensions in the court of Vijayanagara, which was still recovering from the effects of misrule of the last Sangama rulers. This in fact was a normal feature of medieval polity, as it can be observed again and again. Civil wars between rival claimants inevitably leading to division among subordinate chiefs into rival groups, one supporting a candidate and another supporting the other. But in fact, all of them were selfish in their aspirations and sought to make use of the situation for their own political advantage. And with this, we shall end this episode in the fifth part of the Vijayanagara Gajapati war mini-series. I sincerely hope the listeners enjoyed this episode. If you did, please hit the subscribe button and leave a rating and a review wherever it is that you're listening. A huge thank you for taking the time to listen to the show. I hope to see you soon in the next episode. Till then, this is Narendra Vikram, your host and narrator, signing off. Hope you have a great week ahead.